0: This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios.
1: This week, Talking TV is brought to you by pop-up post firm The Finish Line, dealing with everything from consulting to full post and delivery. They've worked on lawless oceans, great British railway journeys and GPs behind closed doors, just to name a few. Hello and welcome, I'm Peter White. Today, we've got a shiny floor entertainment special. We speak to Andy Rowe, executive producer of DAWN French-fronted talent format Little Big Shots, which is set to launch on Wednesday the 1st of March. In the news this week, we take a look at The Nightly Show, which launches next week on ITV, as well as Channel 4's Friday night entertainment push. Plus, we mourn the closure of ITV's London Studios. And we also climb into a cab headed to Horse Free Road with a look at Channel 4's forthcoming documentary, The Knowledge, The World's Toughest Taxi Test. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Uh, Joining me at Maple Street Studios is Broadcast's ITV and Channel 4 reporter, Miranda Blazeby. Hello. You survived... Storm Doris, to get to the studio?
0: Mm, Just about.
1: Well, first up, the news. Uh, ITV Entertainment Chief Peter Davey and producer Katie Taylor have lifted the lid on The Nightly Show. Uh, ITV is pushing back news at 10 by 30 minutes to accommodate the topical comedy which launches on Monday, 27th of February. Uh, Some big claims from Peter and Katie uh, here, Miranda. Uh, How significant is this uh, launch for... For, for the nightly show? Uh,
0: well, according to Peter, it's the most significant thing since the 1990s. So um, that's quite a big, bold statement. Financially, they've been piloting it for four weeks, uh, which is quite an investment. And I think that Peter's been quite upfront about it being an experiment. I think it's also, I think Casey also said that it's been on Andrew Connor's mind for a couple of years. I think a couple of other people are coming up with ideas like this, and if this fails, then that could be significant for those ideas and the culture of late-night chat shows in the UK as well.
1: Absolutely, it's the it's the first uh, of its kind, really. Uh, certainly for some years, um, it launches on Monday. You've been speaking to them about the sorts of things we can expect. Uh, David Walliams is the first host. What, what will the show look like?
0: From the trail that they've released, I think it's going to be David Walliams releasing havoc on stage. You know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be like-hearted. It's going to have Saturday Night Takeaway pranks and jokes and games and uh, at least one VT apparently per episode. The main thing, I think, uh, which is the main mystery, is the monologue at the beginning, which is going to have the most of the topical jokes and comedy in it
1: and they're going to write it they're going to be able to write it up till five o'clock in uh, in the evening so we could get jokes uh, things that happened that day is that right
0: yep a little bit of trump a little bit of uh celerity <laughs> gossip getting in there so yeah last call
1: who can ask for any more and and who else are we expecting to host after after david
0: uh so we've got gordon ramsay we've got uh mel and sue davina mccall lots of other names floating around like bradley walsh I think they want to keep it under wraps and announce it at the end of each show but I think that most of the names are out there already so I don't know how effective that's going to be.
1: And they've started piloting with people perhaps that, that won't necessarily get in this first run but might uh, might do future episodes. So they've obviously got some, some ambitions for this to, to come back and be a, a sort of regular element of the ITV schedule.
0: They're not just piloting with the host they've got confirmed for this run so they're pretty confident uh, they're experimenting with new people
1: Have we got an idea of what success will be for ITV?
0: In terms of ratings, you know, the news at 10 was uh, 1.8 million for the last year. But I think success is a little bit more nuanced than that. That's what Peter said. I think that if the clips and the viral strands that they've that they've spoken about, if they don't really take off and if they don't go viral, I think that will be a pretty big blow.
1: They want to find their own carpool karaoke. Yeah, exactly.
0: Don't they? they want they want lip sync and and all those kind of things. So I think that's where a lot of the hard work's gone. You know, they've got online producers in their in their team, and that's their job. So I think that will be one of the main tastes of success.
1: Great. Well, we'll find out uh, Tuesday morning if it if it has been a success and whether we're talking about it still then. Next up, Channel 4 has Friday night entertainment in its sights as it searches for studio shows and a new vehicle for Alan Carr. Uh, Channel 4 head of entertainment, TV events and sport, Ed Havard, has kicked off the push by hiring 8 out of 10 Cats producer Karen Murdoch as an entertainment commissioning editor and promoted Tom Beck to head of live events. Uh, Ed Havard has put Friday night at the top of his priority list and he's made his first major call-out for ideas since The Singer Takes It All in 2014. Uh, Channel 4 is making a big play for Friday nights. Uh, Did Ed tell you what types of shows he was looking for?
0: Ones of scale, ones of broad appeal. He said that uh, just because they want them to be distinctive and, and idiosyncratic to Channel 4, that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be niche or... Not in a studio or any kind of things like that. Lots of studio entertainment shows, I think, with that Channel 4 sensibility and also new approaches to satire and topical entertainment as well.
1: Do they already have some shows in development?
0: They have one big one in development at the moment for Friday Night Show. It was brief out to Indies. It's being piloted at the moment, I believe. It's been described as in the same tradition as the Friday Night Project um, with ambition and cleverness and things that are a little bit surprising about it
1: obviously looking a little bit more Alan Carr than Justin Lee Collins, I imagine, for for their next version of Friday Night Project. And they also mentioned Stand Up To Cancer is coming back, and this time it's going to come back uh, annually, is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. So from 2018, it's going to be an annual fundraising TV event rather than just the season of programming, which it's been doing every other year.
1: Stand Up Cancer has so far made £40 million uh, since it's been on three times for, for Channel 4. So obviously, if it's on every year, that's, uh, that's even more good news for, for the charities.
0: I think it's the fastest growing fundraiser on TV and Channel 4 want to sustain that momentum. Uh, so that would be one of the things that they're looking at in when the tenders come through.
1: Uh, finally, producers, including Jimmy Mulville and the last leg exec, Ben Wicks, have questioned ITV's decision to close the London studios, a move that will put around 100 jobs at risk. ITV revealed plans to redevelop its South Bank headquarters, uh, a move that would see the closure of the studio where uh, entertainment shows like The Graham Norton Show, Last Leg, Jonathan Ross Show, and Have I Got News For You are filmed. Um, this is a pretty major move for, for ITV staff, not only the closure of the studio, but they are, they're going to move their entire workforce out of there for a couple of
0: years, right? They're moving into two interim sites for, for a number of years, I think. So it's a bit of an upheaval for everyone.
1: So ITV entertainment commissioners uh, will be able to avoid producers in a, a variety <laughs> of locations uh, from this. But, uh, but realistically, it, it's not until 2020 that there's, uh, there's going to be sort of a permanent South Bank fixture for ITV. Exactly. That's the news. Thanks to Miranda. Interview time now. Dawn French is to front ITV's latest entertainment bet, Little Big Shots. The show, which is produced by Walter Wall, features kids performing a variety of tricks, including dancing sensations, blindfolded pianists, and Shaolin masters. Uh, The show was originally launched on NBC in the US, fronted by Steve Harvey where it became the biggest non-scripted show for four years. Walter Wall's head of entertainment, Andy Rowe, joins us to tell us how they adapted the format for a British audience. But first, let's hear Dawn French chatting to a couple of the kids.
2: Tell me who you are and what you're like. I'm nine years old, yeah. um, and we're both partners in dancing. We've won um, one of the biggest competitions in the world, Junior Blackpool in the under tens. You weren't in that great big, amazing, ballroom place in Blackpool were you, doing that? Oh. <laughs> oh, I'd so like to go there one day. And how did you decide to get together? Well, my um, older partner, Yeah. she randomly quit for some random, random yeah. reason. Foolish decision. <laughs> so, my mum was friends with Kerry's old teacher yeah. and she said, Kerry's the best in my school. <laughs> and are you, Kerry? You're the best in the school. <laughs> yeah. You just are. <laughs>
3: I suppose at heart. It's an old-fashioned variety show. It's a comedy show. It's children between the ages of four and 13 who, and we are showcasing their talents. It's not a competition. There are no judges. There's no prizes. There's no money involved. We've just found this amazing array of children and we've brought them to the studio so that everybody else can share in the uh, joy of what they do, their talents and their skills and how funny they are.
1: So it's a US format, so when did you first uh, come across it?
3: We knew about it last spring, just as it was launching on NBC in the States, obviously through our connection with uh, Warner Brothers, our big parent company. And it was an instant success. I mean, it did absolutely brilliantly for NBC in the States. You know, they'd had a little sneaky preview show, which did brilliantly. And then on its launch night, it did something astonishing, like $15 uh, audience which which i think meant that lots and lots of people were interested straight away i mean i think i'll because i've only been at walter wall since last april so this slightly predated my arrival but um i think all the guys in the uk already knew that it was coming down the line so it was a very happy conversation to have with itv <laughs>
1: does it sort of supercharge as soon as the success is in the states it uh, you know The UK and around the world, people get really interested.
3: It undoubtedly helps. I mean, I think when you've got a really big, shiny format, uh, if it's got that certain magic thing about it, then people are interested. But nevertheless, I think a turbocharged start like that definitely, definitely, definitely helps. And I think, you know, lots and lots of broadcasters, not just in the UK but globally, are a little bit more risk-averse now. So if there's a proof that they can have soon about whether something's likely to work for their audiences as well, then obviously they're going to wait for that. But I think it was a nice set of circumstances for us.
1: And it seemed like quite a quick pick-up after, after you guys took it out. Sometimes that takes a bit longer. I think it was a couple of weeks after after it was announced that Wall to Wall was pitching it, that, yeah. so, that it was picked up by ITV. So tell us about that.
3: I mean, I think, I mean, again, that slightly predates my time with Wall to Wall, but I think that it was just a very attractive, shiny-looking show. You know, it's, you know... it. It's familiar in many ways in that, you know, it's a big performance show. It's showing off talents and skills. But I think that USP of it being completely non-judgmental and being about having fun in a very innocent and joyful way is incredibly seductive. I think you'll need to take one look at the you know the US show and hopefully when people watch ours they'll see the same, that it's just about the least cynical show you could ever come across in your life and that really comes over. So I think it was very attractive for ITV to, to, to pick up a show like
1: that. How important is it that there are no judges and no competitive amount?
3: well, I think I mean twofold it certainly there are lots and lots of amazing talented children out there both in the UK you know and internationally for whom you know something like X Factor or The Voice or Britain's Got Talent the children don't want to go through that process not that it's a bad process it's just not for them the notion certainly from a lot of parents that this is a chance for their children to have fun and to do something a little bit different and maybe show off something uh, on television that people haven't seen before or certainly haven't seen them do before Sets the show apart, and it does give it an incredibly, uh, you know, unique feel.
1: Slightly less mean than other talent formats. <laughs> you could you could say that. And, and tell us about the challenges of adapting it. Obviously, as you say, it was a big success in the states with Steve Harvey fronting it. Mm. So, so talk us through how you take an idea like that and and try and and make that for a British audience.
3: Well, I think what's quite interesting about a big show like that in the states is the United States of America have got something like. 68 million children under the age of 12. Now, that's the entire population of the UK. So, you know, they've undoubtedly got a very, very, very big pool of talent to draw on. Uh, we have a slightly smaller pool of talent, but nevertheless, just as good. Um, and I think one of the questions we had ourselves when we were first starting to make it is, is were we sure that we could find that variety and an and interest and different ages and different skills and talents, not just from the UK, but internationally as well, because we have uh, children coming in from other countries too. So that was a big thing for us. So we were quite pleased in the first few weeks that, that it did feel like that was able to come off. The American show is huge. Their set is enormous. They film it on a soundstage in Burbank, you know, and it's a glorious, glorious thing. We probably don't even have a studio space. It's as big as theirs. Where do you film it? So we shot it up at uh, a BBC Elstree, sort of create a little village for ourselves up there. Because I think what's quite important about this show is that the children have to have to be happy and confident when they come onto set. So every stage of this entire production process revolved around making the children feel happy and comfortable and confident. So we were able to use that studio environment up there, not just the studio space itself, where we did a a slight variation of the of the sort of standard US set. But we had outside rehearsal space. We had lots of green room space. We had lots of classroom space for the children. Obviously, they had to be licensed and come down to studio. And we had a lot of rehearsal time with them. So they ended up being very comfortable. And it was their home. We didn't just drop them in there at the last minute and expect them to do their thing, which perhaps they had never done before beyond the confines of their own front room.
1: And they say never work with children or animals, but you've broken both of those rules. Yes, we
3: did break both of those rules. We had, uh, you know, we had a really, really interesting mix of children from all sorts of different places and doing all sorts of different skills. But I think we were very excited when we came across Arthur, who is five and Britain's youngest shepherd. And you can't really be a shepherd without a sheep. So, um, so Arthur brought Bubbles to studio with us. And Bubbles was well. A very, very attractive sheep, but obviously part of the double act. And and interesting, despite all of the stuff that we had to do with licensing for the children, making sure that they were well looked after and cared for and, you know, putting them up in hotels and their parents coming down, the guardians coming down with them, uh, it took longer to organise the uh, the practicalities of having a sheep in the because studio Bubbles than it did the other 41 children that we had in the series.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's relatively light touch format in terms of looking for the sort of comedy elements to it rather than lots and lots of format beats. Is that fair? It, it is, although I think you
3: probably, you know, I always like to think that with shows like this that the, the more effortless that we make it look on screen, the better, really, as far as the audience are concerned. We're not, you're right, we're not absolutely ramming format points down their throats the whole time. But nevertheless, we took a massive amount of care over Every single beat of what happens across a show. So when you see the final six episodes as they go out in terms of the variety, the number of how quickly we hit the laughs off the back of each other, the different age ranges of the children, making sure that... uh, you know, that, that it's all that the spotlight is very much on them, but that simultaneously it gives Dawn an opportunity to flex her comedy muscles and do what she does so brilliantly, which is why we, we cast her as a host.
1: Yeah, let's talk about Dawn. Uh, Kevin Ligo said that, you know, the importance of stars such as Dawn French, who aren't necessarily considered ITV talent, mm. uh, that she seems to be the key of this show. Is that fair?
3: I think she is. I think we were you know it was a real privilege for us to work with her you know because she's a proper national treasure um she's incredibly skillful incredibly talented and we were very very lucky to have her
1: did you have to convince her quite hard
3: um i think we thought we might have to try convince her a little bit harder i think once you've set your set your stall out and go right you know that's the person what we want that'll be brilliant if we can have her um and then we had obviously the usual conversations and i think she was just short of reasons to say no she had seen the American show she knew what it was like it's an incredibly rich role for a comedian somebody who who is spontaneous and spontaneity is a very very big part of the show and I think she saw that in in the format and a former teacher and a former teacher exactly and incredibly good with children uh, which is what's important you know as you watch the show you can see she has fun with them she definitely you know injects adult humor it's not a children's show mm. it is a grown up show it is a family show you know she's very mischievous she's very naughty and she's only ever a heartbeat away from saying something vaguely inappropriate which I think is those didn't always necessarily make the edit but I think you know there's a lot of, of grown up humour in there as well which is her you've got a good blueprint for yeah. <laughs> a few bits nothing that we wouldn't want to say in front of your own children
1: though <laughs> it's going out next week in the middle of ITV sort of new look schedule this is the, the big you know Kevin Ligo sort of first schedule since he took over uh, how important is that for you it seems like it's, it's got a great slot in uh, in the boss's mind
3: I know well well, to that eight pm slot on a Wednesday night, you know, has, has done very well for ITV over the last few years. Anyway, we're very, very happy to be there. We think it suits our show nicely. Um, the fact that we're in the middle of this big launch week, with so many other fantastic shows coming too, you know, the returning things like Broadchurch um, or Benidorm, which is on after us, or you know, the new Harry Hill show that's launching, and the nightly show. It, it feels like it's a really, really exciting place to be at the moment. And, and ITV have been you know really really positive about the show they're very much behind it you know the the marketing and the publicity for it's been great so it's been a really rewarding experience working with them i've got to say
1: what are the ambitions for the show? Uh, Mike Darnell, who who makes the US version for for Warner Brothers, said that um, the breakout nature of the show was a sort of shot in the arm for the entire non scripted community in the states. <laughs> uh, can we expect the same uh, same here, Andy? <laughs> I think
3: the non scripted community in the UK is in pretty rude health at the moment, so I'm not sure it needs an extra shot in the arm. But I think for the show and for and for wall to wall, you know, we would love it to be a success. We would love it to come back again. Um, as you probably know, the uh, the Americans have already managed to commission this little extra kind of spin-off for Forever, yeah. Forever Young.
1: This is where it centres on elderly contestants.
3: <laughs> Which is, well, exactly. It's in, in the same way as you've got Dawn sitting there on the sofa with these uh, tiny children creating merry hell round her uh, on Little Big Shots. I think the notion that you've then got pensioners doing exactly the same uh, is a really really good thing. And so you've thought about that, seeing if this is a
1: success, you could you could look at that.
3: I think we'd be we'd be foolish not to. It's a really you know I've seen some bits and pieces from the states of Forever Young, and it looks great. Um, I mean, I want this to be a success first. I would love Little Big Shots to you know to get a place in the nation's hearts and for it to be a returning series but it's because it's very rich and we've only just started and as I'm sure you know you know when you when you make a new series for the first time whether it's something you've created yourself or whether you're doing a variation on someone else's format the moment you finish recording you realize there's about a 100 things that you could have done better or could have done differently and as a production team we all adored making it and we are Desperate to come back and do it again.
1: What were the things that you might uh, might do? We we haven't seen series one yet on air, but, <laughs> but what are some of the things that, that you would like to move forward
3: with? I think it tends to be the practical things uh, a lot of the time. It's you know how you run your how you run your days, how you are time efficient and uh, creatively efficient in terms of you know preparing the children or preparing Dawn. I think having a little bit more of a lead for casting would be good. The foreign children, children from outside the UK who've come to be on the show. Particularly the ones that either don't have English as a first language or don't have any English at all, they are a mine of fantastic comedy. There's a dancer in the first
1: episode, isn't there? That comes from the Philippines. From the
3: Philippines, we have a boxer in. I think it's in the third show called Evnika, who comes from Kazakhstan, who doesn't speak any English, and she's an amazing. Her skills are absolutely astonishing. She boxes like an adult. She's incredible. However, the star of the item is not Evnika. The star of the item is the translator <laughs> because the translator just doesn't quite realise how funny he is. And it's those sort of moments that when they happen by accident, you think, oh, that's one to make a note of. Let's try and do another one of those.
1: You mentioned there the, the non-scripted world being in, in Rude Health. What is your, your take on entertainment in the UK? Where are we at? There's lots of talk about the entertainment genre in the UK.
3: Um, I think... Certainly, uh, if you look sort of at ITV at the moment, obviously they are, Kevin Ligo is very much focusing on that, which is which is good for all of us. It feels like they, they are freeing up more slots. Uh, certainly, you know, we are all as a community, I think, welcoming that. Um, I know that Channel 4 are now doing another big push during the week. They're looking for new entertainment slots. Um, You know, the BBC, it's a little more difficult with them because obviously they have got less opportunities. But I think with Kate Phillips taking over at at the BBC, that's been a fillet for a lot of us. I think we've all been you know, excited, the notion of pitching lots and lots of new shows and lots of formats because she loves formats. Mm. Um, And I think we're all happy about that. So I think it's twofold. I think the last year or so, we've seen a lot of new shows launching. And I think... Uh, the opportunities there for us to all kind of pitch in with new things as well is, you know, is exciting. I'm certainly excited about it.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, fantastic. Uh, Little Big Shots airs on Wednesday, the 1st of March at 8pm on ITV. and to finish the show we take a black taxi over to Horse Free Road to look under the bonnet of the knowledge the world's toughest taxi test Uh, before we speak to Amelia Han executive producer of the one-off documentary and founder of Honey Productions here's a clip
0: hello there good morning right first appearance yes Mm you're all nice and calm aren't you no my heart is in my mouth right calm down then you'll be okay where's Central Square Central Square
2: Central Square is Heathgate, sir.
0: It is. We're going to go to the Trellick Tower. Where's the Trellick Tower?
2: Um, Trellick Tower is Goldboard, Goldbourne Road, sir. It is.
0: Once we start the appearances, you, you can actually feel the fear. I can't see anything. I'm sorry, sir. I just can't see nothing.
2: No. I can't see it at all. I just think, nerves probably took over and i just just clammed up i suppose i'm
0: sorry no i need to apologize
1: hello amelia fresh off the rap party for uh, for the knowledge is that right
2: indeed and a little worse for wear i have to say but it was very very good fun we celebrated first birthday and first program
1: so tell us about the documentary tell us the the, the history of the knowledge
2: um, well, basically, I think it was uh, this time last year, I sort of turned around to Sam in the office and said, taxis. And Sam, being the brilliant producer that she is, went okay and went off and started looking at knowledge schools. We found some really surprising characters, people we didn't you know, expect to find, and also a level of passion and commitment that was kind of mind-blowing. And we made a little taster with that, and we took it to Channel 4, and it so happened, we took it to Channel 4 the day after Jay had said, I want to do something about the knowledge. At which point we then entered into quite a, a fierce battle for access with TFL between us, Little Honey, and a very big production company, and we won.
1: Excellent. So, how was getting getting access to to one of these schools?
2: Well, what we the the access we actually got was for the TFL exams. Right. So that's the um, that was the that was a difficult access. The schools were, you know, m- most of them willing to help. Um, obviously, for TFL to say yes, you can come and put cameras inside these exams and they were stressing to us at the time how important these exams were and I think we kind of didn't realise what they were talking about and I think having made the programme um, now we really, you know, we really understand because people are putting like four years of their life on hold to try and you know, get the knowledge.
1: So Jay had obviously just seen her taxi bill for, mm-hmm. for the year, and and, and and you'd you'd looked at at this this very difficult test, mm. and and what you know between the two of you coming up with an idea mm. for this show, mm. you, you put in the fixed rig, you put in putting cameras to these schools and, mm. and and with some of the drivers, mm. but you obviously needed to find some characters or you needed to find some moments.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's actually it's even more than that because I think that. Um, it's, it was the programme I was really aware right from the start it's all well and good making a programme about some drivers passing this incredibly difficult exam to become black cab drivers but it's quite another to make a programme where you feel like you're sharing some bigger thoughts with the audience where actually anyone watching it can go wow I can really relate to that or that sort of speaking to me and actually we found we sort of had this running joke in the edit that actually the more we went on and the more this, you know, obviously it was a, you know, it was a very difficult programme to put put together, as they often are. The more we went on in the edit, the more we were kind of listening to the words of wisdom from the examiners and the other, you know, and the, and the candidates and sort of, you know, really sort of taking them on board. Things like, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint and various others.
1: Talk about that production process. Mm. Why was it difficult? What were some of the challenges?
2: First of all, it's a, a rig. So there are certain challenges with a rig. I think also we've got another element in there, which is where we're doing Backstories, and we need to establish really caring for characters very, very quickly. So trying to really create a 360 in a matter of seconds or minutes so that you actually really then care about watching this person who you've only just met do an incredibly difficult exam. So I think those backstories were really important and quite difficult to craft from that point of view, getting the pacing right. And then also there's a science element in it in that we commissioned a study um, from Jonathan Hancock um who's a memory expert to actually look at what cabbies are do- doing what tactics are they using what sort of tricks are they using in order to generate this incredible brain power because really it is astonishing what they manage to retain
1: and, and the characters in the show are quite interesting i think of cabbies as as largely uh, middle-aged white men and and that's not necessarily everyone in your in your film you've got a much more diverse range in there
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we were really surprised by the range. I think um, also that casting process—brilliant casting producer Sam um, and uh, and and the team—and you know, really sort of trying to find those the variety there, which I think is really important in order to be able to tell multiple narratives. So we don't feel like we're doing the same thing again and again.
1: Is that more difficult in a one-off than perhaps if it had been a three-parter?
2: I don't know. I think it's difficult because with a one-off, and also when it's your first production hitting the edit you kind of are supercharged on it as and you really are asking a lot of the program so you know we have eight characters you know in the in the actual cut. I think there's a total possibility of making that show with fewer characters and slowing it down a bit so I think we were really demanding in terms of what we wanted to achieve we had a very very high bar that we were wanting to hit
1: yeah how is being uh, you say this is your first commission to mm. hit the edit mm. you know life at honey one year on uh, starting a new indie what what's that like
2: um knackering i think is the is the answer to that um it's been surprisingly challenging and i think that's because it's not about just the hard work it's about the fact that you really care a lot you know and your highs you kind of want to go completely wild on the highs and sort of get really depressed on the lows and actually you've got to try and navigate a sort of easy middle ground um which um you know still struggling with because uh, because it is difficult you know what
1: are some of those challenges
2: I, well, I guess the first challenge is you've got to prove yourself. You know, that's the really, that's the big thing. So I think that there's quite a lot of pressure for that. It's also very easy to get distracted by the noise of the industry. Um, and there's a lot of talk, you know, about people, you know, certainly when I was starting up, everyone was saying, oh, you know, you want to set up a company so you can sell it. It's all about making money, um, which is quite a weird one for me to be, have all of that going on, because really, that's not why we have set up the company, because we, we've actually set it up because we want to make the shows we want to make. In the way we want to make them, so it's kind of there's a you know a really sort of just staying focused and narrowing down your field of vision and kind of not listening to all of that other stuff. I think it's quite important.
1: And you've worked on a, a range of shows: uh, The Undateables, Ross Kemp on Gangs, and and even Wife Swap. Uh, you mentioned the type of show that you want to make it, Honey. Mm. What is that?
2: Our range is we've go from we've got a very complex access legal um, single that's, that's that's ongoing at the moment. So that for me is at one end of really is sort that the of, kids convicted of murder? Yes, it is. A programme with real social purpose um, that um, we're incredibly passionate about doing that kind of project. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I've just put in a... uh, I've developed a comedy um, studio show for Dave that's just gone in and that we're talking about. So we've got quite a range from that point of view. But I think just each of them, they come from a core idea that we get really excited about. And I think as long as we've got that sort of real excitement as to that, that sort of core element, then... Sort of almost like anything goes at the moment, but I'd say mainly like fact enters is a is a, a centre ground and then we we'll sort of stray out to the peripheries <laughs> when we uh, when we really love an idea.
1: And, and Kids Convicted of Murder is a cutting-edge film for, for Channel is. 4. Where are you at, at the moment with it?
2: So we're waiting on legals for that. So we're waiting to see what the next development with the legal situation is. That's a this. whole other
1: challenge, right? And
2: it's a, whole, it's a whole other challenge. But, yeah, it's super exciting. So, you know, fingers crossed for the coming weeks on that.
1: And we'll, uh, we'll come to the second birthday party, yes. Uh, uh, Amelia. Yes, it'll be
2: even bigger than last night. <laughs>
1: uh, the Knowledge, the world's toughest taxi test, airs later this spring on Channel 4. And that's your lot for this episode. My thanks to Andy, Amelia and Miranda. Talking TV this week was sponsored by The Finish Line. You can see some of their recent work on Opera North's epic 15-hour production of Richard Wagner's Ring Cycle, which is currently on BBC iPlayer. I'm Peter White and the producer is Matt Hill from Rethink Audio. We'll see you on the other side.
0: You've been listening to Broadcast. Talking TV. Recorded at Maple Street Studios.